G'day and welcome to the Cultivate Farms podcast. Sam Marwood here and thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We're thinking of as many ways to get you onto your farm or help you to step back and we really hope you find all this information useful and inspiring. Let's get you farming. Well, good everybody. Sam Marwood here from Cultivate Farms. We're all about making farming dreams a reality and today we have a guest who knows all about living the farming dream. He and his partner Sadie have started Fat Pig Farm in the south of Tasmania and you all know him as the Gourmet Farmer. Uh, his name is Matthew Evans. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you're on the farm today. Here you've been running around the country so it might be nice to be back on, on, the, on the soil. Yeah, I occasionally go away. I've been um, had a couple of little trips. But yeah, today it's all about irrigation, um, uh, otherwise known as irritation, I think, in farming circles. Uh, because you're always uh, having something, it's always something to do with it. It's, it's not enough water, too much water, leaky pipes, not, not long enough pipes. But um, this is a new pipe just to some cattle um, up the top of the deck. Is it freezing? Is that the issue? Uh, <laughs> it actually is. Uh, this is the first morning in about three days that it's not freezing, uh, actually, actually freezing. Um, it's more the fact that I've got to carry the pipes and all the fittings and everything all the way up there, and you always forget a screwdriver or a um, clamp or a you know or a pipe wrench when you get there. That's that's as, it as much anything. I've got to say it's the best place on the farm to be because no phone reception, uh, no one to talk to, you know, no one to talk to except the cows, um, you know, nothing to do except watch the grass grow. So it's the best place to be. Um, it's just getting up there and back sixteen times today. <laughs> it's only lunchtime. You're uh, you're up early. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm not done yet. This is the problem. I still, I've still got cows up there which, which need the, the pipes and by the end of the day. Well, let's. I've got a, a few questions to go through, Matthew. Be, um, I'll, uh, we'll get through them and then you can head back and uh, get it all done. Um, so, how long uh, have you had your farming dream for before you started Fat Pig Farm? Uh, and, and where did you get this hope from that you could ever be a farmer? Uh, the, the dream I had was was never to, I guess, really have a farm. I always wanted to sort of live in the country. Maybe um, I grew up in a, in Canberra, you know, in the suburbs, very much a suburban boy. Didn't really have a garden. Um, had no friends who would take me out to their properties every, you know, every holidays or anything like that. It was always this idea of of living closer to the land. And um, then uh, I guess when I, I had a brain snap when I turned forty and got interested in gardening, and then realized that uh, I also love being around animals, big animals. Uh, you know, I, I quite like animal husbandry. I, that's, a, that's one of my favorite parts of, of farming that, that I guess I thought, well, um, if I don't do it then, when am I going to do it? You know, um, you know, I've, I've sort of, I guess, half my working life was nearly over. You know, if, if you want to chase this dream, um, at some point you've just got to drop everything and chase it. I love it. If it sounds like that's what um, that's what we say to a lot of our aspiring farmers as well. You've got this dream. Uh, don't just sit around and wait for it to happen. Get out there and, and have a crack at it. I love it. That's uh, and that's again why we love uh, catching up with you, just to inspire everyone out there that uh, you can make it happen. You've just got to be uh, tenacious. So maybe just a bit more about your your farm, Matthew. So how big is your farm? Uh, what types of animals? Um, do you have more tears of joy or frustration um, during a day? Um, just a quick outline. Yeah, look, we, we're a seventy-acre farm, so we're a mixed farm. My uh, my son Headley calls it a, a mixed-up farm, which is in some ways kind of true. There's there's a reason why people concentrate on one thing because it's really efficient. 
and we don't. We we have a heritage orchard that's in desperate need of pruning. Um, uh, you know, we have, we have a, a small dairy herd, we have a beef herd, we sometimes have sheep here. We, we, we're hoping to get, get some ducks in the next couple of weeks. Um, we have laying chickens, sometimes meat chickens. We also have a, a two-acre market garden, um, which which is an enormous you know draw. It, it, in and of itself, it takes a lot of the energy of the farm. So we have a lot of things on the on the property, and I guess what we're about is trying to grow things in a more um, old-fashioned way, in a very almost like a almost like doing homesteading or, or, or um, small holding, you know, having a small farm, um, but doing it on a bigger scale. Um, uh, and so we try to grow as many different things as we can. We've got thirty-five or so different vegetables. Um, growing in the garden at the moment, but each of those has three or four different varieties. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on just in the garden, plus all the fruit trees, all the perennial plants, um, and plus all the livestock. Wow, I love it, and I love that um, the, the convention. And most people think, oh, you need a, a big uh, amount of land to make a go of farming, uh, and you're on 70 acres. That's just brilliant. I think that gives hope uh, to anyone out there uh, that they can have a crack and. Try their own mixed up farming. I love that. That's really good. So, uh, how, how did you make your farming dream a reality? Obviously, you didn't just do it on your own. Um, you got people alongside you, mentors. Who, are there some uh, key people that people need on their on their side to make this this happen? Yeah. Look, I think one of the things that you can do uh, wrong when you launch into this is um, well, it'll stop you launching into it. Is is to read everything you can. Okay. So read a lot. But at some point, you just have to stop reading and do it. Because it doesn't matter how many times you read about things, about how you can put ducks in your, you know, permaculture vegetable patch, um, until you've done it and seen that the ducks actually eat your permaculture veggies, um, you know, you, you can't you can't actually learn. And it, it's not like it's not like all farmers were just gifted some kind of um, instinct and knowledge before they were born. They all had to learn it at some point, and you learn it by doing. And so you kind of have to make a few mistakes along the way. The great thing for us is that we're surrounded by people who have had relatively small farms and a different style of um, you know, plants and animals. And so they, we, we go to them when we need help. Yeah. A big mistake that, that I guess I've made and, and, and I hope not to repeat and, and I hope other people don't make is to be afraid to ask older farmers or experienced farmers for help. They're not going to necessarily offer you help. They're going to look over the fence at you and they're going to watch what you do and they're going to judge you, at, you know, whether you know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. But, it, but they're not necessarily going to help you until you're in a, in a crisis. You want to talk to them well before you go to crisis. You want to ring them up and say, look, I've seen how healthy your cattle are. Can I get a few pointers? And, and I tell you, farmers just love sharing that knowledge. These are people who are, who are good at so many different things, but it's all stuff they've learned. It's not stuff that was gifted to them you know, in their genes. It was all stuff they had to learn. And they understand that you have to learn as well and that, that, that you never stop learning. So so they might know heaps about, you know, one breed of cattle and then change the breed and they have to relearn things or, or the weather will change or the, they'll, they'll buy an extra piece of land that has different soil. So, so it's, this is the beauty of it is that it's, you know, it, people, I guess, sometimes go, I've heard it's Said, oh, they're only a farmer, and then they became a you know a doctor or something. Well, like you know, we're dealing with the most complex systems on earth. We deal with weather, we deal with ecosystems, and then we we deal with biological systems. You know, within a plant or an animal, 
that's that's really, really, really complicated. You can exercise your brain as much as you like farming, and you can as well as your body. You know, there is a lot to think about, and you never stop learning. And I think that's one of the joys of it. That is brilliant advice. Ask and. Uh, I've asked so many people for advice even starting up Cultivate Farms and people really enjoy it. I think no matter if you're a farmer or not, um, asking for advice and being asked for advice is a, is a, a really great thing. Most people really love to offer it. So I think get over that fear of asking and get in there and, and, and do it. I love that. Um, so Matthew, you used, to, you used to review restaurants um, and recently you reviewed farming methods on a TV series. Um, is that is that why you like? Is it the re, you're taking your skills from re, reviewing restaurants into the reviewing the farming world? Is that your your passion or your interest? And and who gets five fat pigs as the best? Uh, oh. Yeah, look, I, I guess what I'm interested in is um, is what I what I I'm essentially a glutton, so I like to eat really well. And the reason I, be, I became a chef when I left school, the reason why we grow lots of things is because I want to eat really well. Okay, and I I don't. Um, I guess I'm interested in how food is grown for other people, but but I want people to trust what they eat. I think there's been this there's a lot of mistrust about what they eat. People get to eat, and I think it's it's such a wonderful thing if people can know and trust that, that farmers are doing the right thing for them. Um, and when I went to check out other farming methods, it was about that. And what 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 was strangely was um, I guess disappointing was was that there are some farms and there are some farmers who seem to be ashamed of what they do in the public's name and are embarrassed to show the public how their, uh, in that instance, their meat is raised and produced. And I think the great joy of farming for me is that we do nothing that is demeaning, nothing that is dehumanising. We have to do really grim things. We have to do really hard things. We have to do heartbreaking things. Mm. Um, you know, we have long days, tiring days, sometimes frustrating days. But at its heart, what we do is one of the most noble things on earth, which is to create food out of soil and sunlight and, and air and water. I mean, it's a very, uh, it's very tangible at the end of the day what we, we can do. And I guess I'm interested, when I look at farming methods, I want to, I'm interested in those farms that put, you know, the, 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 the environment, the animal, and then the end consumer um, as priorities and, and, and producing good food for, for humans to eat. And it's, you know, as a, it, it is the original alchemy thing, growing stuff, creating, creating something not just edible but hopefully delicious out of essentially thin air. That's brilliant. And, and that idea of trust, I, I think you're spot on. Um, we've been harping on uh, to our followers saying they should be creating their own story and sharing their story online through social media. And it feels like the farming industry and ag industry really need to grasp that, the fact that you've got social media, you've got Twitter, you've got Facebook, you can create stories, you can share it, and it's a great way to get that trust. Uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the, the power of social media to to garner that. Is, is that where we should be heading? Is there a, how other how else can we gain that trust? Yeah, look, I think that's a really great way. And I think it's why people get, getting trust within and social license within their communities. So um, modern farming doesn't look like, like our farm looks a little bit like old McDonald's farm, right? You know, and that's what, that's what people see in their head when they think of farming. They see a few chooks wandering around and a, you know, a lady old Jersey cow. and you know. They, they, but modern farming doesn't look like that. Modern farming 
it, you know, it has computed, it has high-tech machinery, um, you know, it, 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 it has a whole bunch of other things going on um, that uh, I think if you hide that away, then people suddenly, when, in their head, they're still thinking, oh, McDonald's farm, when they suddenly see, you know, that you're using drones and, you know, computer technology, they're going to be slightly disappointed. You should be telling those stories. You should be proud of those stories because that's what modern farming is. You know, that's how we're going to produce food for our nation and, and maybe, to, you know, to help other nations feed themselves um, way into the future. So these are things to be proud of. And, and every time you give a little people, you know, that information, in a, in, a, in that, especially in that social media sense, you put a face to it. You're saying, look, you know, we grow food, you know, or we, 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 we create things for Australians uh, to consume. We're proud of that, you know, whether it be wool, cotton, you know, um, things you put on your body or things you put in your body. Love it. So uh, that's it. We're you definitely everybody has to have a social media account and document your journey. That's uh, that's just the way it's going to be from here on. That's the uh, the advice we're always always going to push. So uh, Matthew, this is a question uh, from the point of view of someone who all they have is a dream, a farming dream. They've got the passion. They've got no money. They've got no farming experience. Have you got maybe three ideas on what they should be doing? Uh, to get onto their farm and maybe how long they should wait. Just some practical insights from if you're starting from scratch. Yeah, look, well, we, where we live is a very unusual place. A lot of small farms, and, and uh, I guess the, the prices in, in southern Tasmania aren't perhaps what they are, and you know, in some other parts of the state. But I think I think the, the biggest things are you know don't debt is is going to kill you, you know, always. Debt, debt's a really big problem, but, but how do you get in without the debt? And then I guess for us, we always look at um, all the all the people we know around us who could do with a hand, um, who want someone to help them out, who maybe as, they, as, as they're nearing the end of their farming life are looking for someone to uh, take more of a managerial role of their their properties as their bodies um, fail or their, their health fails or whatever, um, and they're, they're they're the great opportunities if you don't have the capital if you can't um, inject inject the funds yourself. Borrowing money to buy a farm is probably a really bad idea, I would guess, um, unless relatively small amounts or unless you've got some kind of magic um, <laughs> magic product that, that seems to earn more than most farmers do. Um, yeah, sadly, sadly uh, you know, farmers are uh, generally, um, you know, high capital in, in inputs and, and low income. Um, uh, that doesn't mean you live a bad, lead a, lead a bad life, but it does mean you have to get the money from somewhere or you need to have help to get in somehow. And I think um, there's no shame in running a property that you don't own. Um, but I think, I guess, as, as stewards of land, you would like to think that you could one day own the land that you manage. But that doesn't mean you have to do that straight away. So you, there are stepping stones to that. And it could be the land you're managing you one day becomes uh, you know, possible for you to buy, or it could be that you, you, you learn things on that piece of land and you can then apply to something that when you can afford to, to take on I think that's great, and uh, we, we talk a lot about talking to these retiring farmers, and I probably need a better uh, term, but um, yeah, talking to people you know, offering to help them out, uh, learning from them, and then using that as a stepping stone to get onto your farm, or even their farm, I think you're spot on. I think that's a, the, the best way uh, of doing it. 
So, Matthew, you talked about um, uh, reading, but then also doing. Uh, I want to touch on that reading concept. What, where do you learn? Um, are there some great podcasts or books or websites that you'd recommend uh, people should be jumping on to, to get their farm ready and even and when they're on the farm to keep their skills sharp? Yeah, look, I, I guess I don't have anything in particular. Sadie's more into the podcast stuff. She listens to you know, American and English podcasts of, of sort of farming types talking and she comes she, she's always in my ear about fungus or you know uh you know zero input farms and all the amazing stuff like and i think that's that's great personally uh, it just i just don't seem to be able to work with technology or whatever um i'm not uh and my time is i guess my time is relatively limited so if i'm going to take information I will... oh you there oh i think i've lost you take information i'll take it from all sorts of places so um, you know, I, I might buy a book on beekeeping that's put out by the Department of Primary Industry, um, and then the next uh, week be getting you know a permaculture manual, you know, penned by you know, um, Bill Morrison, Morrison, um, you know, thirty years ago. Um, then I'll be looking at something, uh, I guess, more contemporary, um, looking at government websites in terms of biosecurity and all that kind of stuff. So there's no single place that is the font of all knowledge, and especially if you want to do a farm that isn't, I guess, the traditional farm. But that's that's what's amazing about it, because, you know, the, the farmer who, who owns the property over the road or up, you know, behind us here, they all have a different way of farming because of their land and their experience and their capabilities. Um, and so there's no right way. Farming is, is a bit like parenting. There's lots of right ways. You know, the, 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 there's... There's, um, uh, you know, you can you could farm the same piece of land in in in, in and, and change lots of different things about the way you do it and still do it in a really good way. And it depends on what your interests are, what your capabilities are, what your finances are, you know, what you want to grow, all that kind of stuff. Um, there are so many good sources of information now. I think part of the problem is knowing where to stop, and I think the best thing the best thing because I reckon the local nursing home near here has more knowledge probably about farming than the state library. The best is is the people who've already spent time on this land, know this climate, know the soil and and and, and have scarred their knuckles, uh, you know, um, actually doing the work on the properties nearby. Because that's invaluable. Because what you learn in a book might have come via America, via Europe. You know, who knows where it's come from? And it can be really interesting and useful. But the most relevant stuff is from the people who've learned, and learned by their mistakes, who live near you. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so this question now, Matthew, is around uh, young farmers and you've travelled around Australia and, and dealt with, no doubt, young, young people trying to get onto farms and, and people onto farms. Have you, have you got any thoughts on you know, what we're doing with Coldway Farms around trying to make it possible for people to get the capital to buy farms? Have you seen any great solutions out there that we should be aware of um, that is really supporting the next generation onto farms? Um, any thoughts on, on that area? Yeah, no, I can't think of anything in, in particular where um, uh, that, that, that's that's enabling people to get onto farms. I did meet a woman in the US once uh, from the US um, who, who who their job was to raise money 
to buy farmland close to cities. And the aim was because the, the farmer was sitting on land that was, say, was worth, say, $2 million as a dairy farm, but it was worth $20 million as a housing estate. But the, the farmer just wanted to farm. But as they're getting older, they're going, my $2 million dairy farm could become $20 million and I'm weighing it up. What these people did is they went in and said, look, we'll, we'll buy the land off you for $10 million, but you've got to keep farming it. And when, you, and when you sell it, it's got to stay as farming land. And it was this lovely thing of keeping prices down um, because when it was sold, it was sold as a uh, – you know, this, this was money that they, they raised through um, pri private uh, contributions to buy the land. But when it sold, it sold as farming land again. So the farmer who could have made $20 million still made a lot of money out of the land, probably had, you know, probably had to pay off five million bucks worth of debt, whatever. Um, but, you know, they, they could make some money and not be stiffed in the process because why should they not earn money like everyone else does from, from you know, the, the pure chance that their, their real estate's gone up? But maybe not as much money, but they could keep farming, which is what they wanted to do, and be sure that the land that they had been um, nurturing and looking after for their lifetime was then going to stay as farming land and not just become, you know, driveways and, and McMansions. And I think that was a beautiful thing because um, it, it, it kept the, the price of farming land reasonable, kept it close to cities, but gave the farmer who could have had a windfall still gets a, a bit of a windfall. Um, uh, and so it's sort of a win-win-win in a way. Yeah, I've heard of those models as well, and I think they're really inspiring. And it's that uh, that um, the angle of the philanthropic um, world coming in to, to support people who want to do good with food on the outskirts of, of major cities. I think that's a, a that's a brilliant one because uh, you're right; it is impossible if you want to be closer to town um, and and farm. I don't know how people are going to do it unless those sort of uh, entities are set up. We'd love to be able to do that in the future. So I think um, uh, look out for that. Hopefully. Um, so apart from helping to get uh, young people onto the farm, onto onto farms, Matthew, what keeps you up at night uh, around, around farming? In terms of farming, yeah. Uh, oh, what well, maybe the off? maybe the industry in general. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, I kind of worry that that you know, like like the piece of land around here. You know, people have, have fed themselves and, and they use fire stick farming, so a way of changing the the bush to create food. Fire stick farming has been done around here for about 35,000 years, 45,000 years, who knows, roughly around there. And people fed themselves for that time. And um, and I guess my worry is uh, that the European-style farming and the style that's been practised around here and around a lot of Australia um, has not covered itself with glory in terms of maintaining topsoil and soil health over the last 200 years. And... And and I, I don't and I, I don't know whether in forty five thousand years we'll go wow wasn't that a great way to farm? Um, I worry that, that that traditionally we have turned bread bowls into deserts um, uh, uh, around the world. You know, you know, part of the Middle East that they talk about even in biblical times only two thousand years ago are now not very arable. So so I would I would like to think we can learn and as farmers do the right thing for, um, for, for the country we're on, not just for the next 10, 15, 20, 50 years, but looking further than that, looking 5,000 years. You know, if, if, if humans want to grow stuff, can we, can we 
can we do it in a way that doesn't ruin every patch of farming land, um, you know, in the meat short to medium term? And, and we haven't necessarily done that yet. I'd be interested. To, that's that's what worries me, I guess. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? You know, without well, now we've got all the all petrochemical inputs and we've got lots of machinery that help us to do things. But if, if we run out of that, or, or you know, is, is is there going to be an, another way that we can do do what we do, feed all the people, and not stuff up the land that's been gifted to us? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Soil has been a bit of a hot topic for me over the last few months uh, and I've met a few soil experts who just talk about um, the value of building up your carbon um, and and letting your grass grow for, for a longer length rather than grazing all the way down the bottom and all these things are not only good for the soil but good for your productivity. So I'm really fascinated by that idea of looking after the land but then that allows you to look after your hip pocket as well. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. How do, we, how do we look after this land for the long term? Uh, and I think we'd love to chase some more people up around that topic and, and share that that knowledge that's out there around looking after the land for the now and for the future. Um, yep, that keeps me up as well. So maybe yeah. I, I, oh, you, think, you know, we won't know for a long time who, who's got the right answer. But I think, you know, when, when you when you see the, the footage of the, the, the ski fields in New Zealand stained with the colour of Australia's topsoil, you kind of know that's a bad thing. You kind of know that if your topsoil's you know, blown over to New Zealand, then you've stuffed something up somewhere along the line. Yep, absolutely. I haven't seen, are there photos of that? I need to check that out. Yeah, yeah, old stuff from, you know, yeah. and it's usually after a drought, but I mean, it's not, not like Australia's ne never had drought yeah. and won't have drought again. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's, um, uh, people might say, oh, well, it's red, so it's not topsoil. It's, well, you know, the, the, whatever, whatever's blown across, you know, was what was sitting on the top of Australia <laughs> only two days prior, you know, and, and, and the, the bit that you see there is only the tiniest bit. Yeah, that's true. The rest in the ocean. Yeah, compared to what's fallen in, the, fallen in the ocean or is washed down into the oceans on, a, on an annual basis. So it's all about soil. Um, and we know we have much better understanding now, which which hopefully um, will give us uh, you know more confidence about some of the different techniques and maybe things that seem a bit wacky or obscure. But maybe you know with, with some of the more modern science, we'll be able to say, well, oh, there's a reason why that might work or that won't. You know, something else won't. Yeah, that's brilliant. We're all for that. We'd love to test the boundaries and yeah, yeah, exactly. If it works, it works. If it helps productivity. And for longevity, we're all for as well. We'll support that uh, as yeah. well. Matthew, I'm conscious of your irrigation uh, not being working uh, right now. So one last question before we wrap up. Um, yeah, sure. So we always ask people about what their farming dream is, but it feels like you're living it. Uh, but is there anything on your farm that you would change now to, to grow your dream or to really you know, lock it in as the, uh, your living, your, your farming dream that you had years ago? Oh, look, I think it's, it's always evolves. You know, I, I met an old farmer once. I was chatting to his son, and I just waved to the old guy. I said, hey, how are you going? And he, and he was charging off, and he said, oh, good, I'm only two years behind. And I think that kind of my shoulders dropped about three inches. And I thought, you know, it's okay to be three, two years behind. It's not okay to be five years behind or ten years behind, probably. But to be two years behind in a farming sense is... 
thanks for your attention. We know there are thousands of other things you could be doing or other podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen to listen to us. We appreciate your time so much. Please reach out uh, as we're happy to work through your farm ownership pathway with you. Let's get you farming.